Hey everybody, happy new year. In today's episode, I want to tell you about a really cool interaction I had with some very kind, very sweet Mormons that came to my house. Stick around, we got a great episode for you. Well, welcome everybody. Glad to have you here joining us on this episode of the Chad Blackman podcast. Hey, if this is your first time here, I just wanted to say thank you for checking this out. And I pray that this blesses you. This podcast is all about trying to help you know, love and defend the word. It was about late August, maybe early September. I remember we were starting to get close to fall, but it was still really, really hot out. I was out in my front yard working. I was, um, cutting the grass and cleaning some some things up and I remember I had my blower out and was kind of cleaning off the driveway I uh, was just starting to wrap up and and around the corner came these two uh, very nicely dressed young men they uh, clearly looked like they were Mormon missionaries they had their name tags and they weren't on bicycles they were actually walking on foot but uh, they walked by I didn't get a chance to engage them and as they kind of went through our little cul-de-sac our little cove and Uh, started making their way back out, I actually did get the chance to start talking with them. Um, I turned the blower off and uh, just sort of waved and said hi to them and asked them how they were doing. And they kind of came over and got closer and we started talking. And I was asking them about how their mission's going, where they're from. And um, we got to have a really cool conversation about who is Jesus. And the conversation ended in a real positive note. We, it was really cool how uh, respectful and friendly and uh, they certainly had their pushback and I had my pushback, but it was really done in like an air of respect and uh, civility. And I, I really enjoyed the conversation. And as they left, it, it got me thinking, I wonder how many times Christians have had a similar encounter where uh, maybe it was a Mormon, maybe it was a Jehovah Witness, uh, maybe there's a Mormon that you work with, but you bump into these uh, very kind, very sweet people. And maybe you're left wondering, I don't know what to say. How do I, how do I talk to uh, people from the LDS faith? How do I engage with them? And, and so that got my wheel spinning and I wanted to record a episode today trying to address two major questions. And, and the two questions that I have on the table, I want to try to solve for us today. The first question, are Mormons Christians in the sense of like, are they Orthodox Christians? Could we put Mormons in the same category as like a Baptist, as like a Lutheran, as uh, a Catholic? Can we put them in there under that umbrella? The second question is, what do we do when they come to our house? How do we engage them? What are some of the the focuses that we need to really drill down on when these very kind people come to our house. So that's what's on the table. Let's go one at a time here. The first question, are Mormons Christians? Well, in in a simple answer, it's no. Uh, like in an orthodox sense, they are not considered Christians. And here's what I mean by that. C.S. Lewis termed, uh, he, he coined the term mere Christianity. And what he meant by mere Christianity was some of the doctrinal, uh, theological beliefs that all Christians hold. Uh, Whether you are Protestant, whether you are Catholic, uh, whether you are Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, there are certain, we certainly have our differences, but there are certain theological uh, 
like bedrock foundation level beliefs that we all share. Uh, we're all going to share belief in a triune, eternal creator God. Uh, we are all going to share the belief that salvation has been accomplished through the person and work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Uh, we're all going to believe in uh, the authority and the sufficiency of the scriptures. Uh, there are certain like doctrinal statements and, and really like foundational level beliefs we all hold. And as you start to examine Mormonism, you'll see that, uh, or I guess LDS is probably a more appropriate term. Um, as you start to examine their faith and their theological beliefs, you'll find it's a very sharp departure from Orthodox Christianity. Now, here's where things get a little bit tricky. They use, the LDS faith uses a lot of the same language that we as Christians use. Uh, they're going to use a lot of the same phrases, things like uh, God the Father, uh, Jesus the Son of God, the Holy Spirit. Uh, they're going to use a lot of these similar terms. The problem is the meaning that they have attached to those terms is very different than the meaning we have attached to those terms. And I'll get to those in just a little bit. One of the strengths, I would say, of the LDS faith, um, we could say that their orthodoxy is off, like their theological beliefs are off, but their orthopraxy, their, their lifestyle, their practice is very, very admirable. Uh, the Mormon faith puts a high premium on uh, family, high premium on community, on living moral lives. Uh, I think there's a lot of wisdom in the LDS church really calling young people to a, uh, to a standard of responsibility, to take on a mantle of responsibility and go on missions, serve in their church, start families. Uh, there is a lot of wisdom in that. So one of the one of the hard things about kind of thinking through our Mormons Christians is that well man their their lifestyles really are uh, beautiful in many senses like they they have a lot of uh, beautiful behaviors uh, practices and and kind of day to day lifestyle that's that's quite admirable that in honestly a lot of ways Christians don't have um, but the the truth is that we need to have not just the right practices, we need to have the right theological truth. Um, Jesus explained that his true followers will worship in spirit and truth. That's really important. We need to know what is true about God. We need to worship what is true about him. And we need to have the right behaviors, the right actions, the right lifestyle that comes with that. So, we need to kind of fuse those two together. It seems like a lot of Christians have the right orthodoxy and not the right orthopraxy. Uh, Mormons, on the other hand, you could say have the right orthopraxy, but not the right orthodoxy. We need both. We need the right orthodoxy. The need, we need the right orthopraxy. We, we got to have these two together. So uh, I want to highlight just a couple of the differences that the LDS faith has from Orthodox Christianity, you might be surprised just how many and, and like how serious these differences are. 
Uh, we're not talking about differences like in baptism or differences in, in the Lord's Supper and, and how we take communion or uh, differences in church government. Like these are these differences are major, very, very major. Uh, the LDS faith fundamentally has a different view and source of divine revelation. Orthodox Christianity uh, holds to the word of God. Uh, we hold to the Bible as the divine source of revelation and inspiration. Uh, now, there, there are some differences like between Catholics and Protestants. Catholics got a, a couple more books in their Bible, um, but none of what's in those, uh, those extra books, the Catholics have contradict major theological doctrines. Uh, what the Mormons hold to absolutely contradicts major theological doctrines in the Bible. So for your, your normal Mormon, they're going to hold to uh, a couple of sacred texts. Uh, the Book of Mormon, Doctrines and Covenants, uh, the Pearl of Great Price, and then the Bible. And not necessarily in that order, but those are kind of your four heavy hitters for the, the LDS faith. And what you'll see is that in Book of Mormon, Doctrines and Covenants, and Pearl of Great Price, there are uh, some very stark differences from what the scriptures talk about. And the danger here is that the Bible itself specifically warns about adding to the word of God. I think one of the clearest verses on this is Proverbs 30, 5 and 6. Proverbs 30 says, every word of God proves true. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Now listen to this. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. That's a heavy, heavy statement. Uh, the word of God is cautioning, be careful against anything that is added to the word of God, because it will show you to be a liar. You will be rebuked by God for it. Um, so Mormons have a fundamentally different view. They have fundamentally different sources of divine revelation. And those sources contradict what the word of God says. Uh, Mormons also have a fundamentally different view of humanity. Uh, they believe that every single man and woman on the planet, including Jesus, all of us, we have lived with God, God the Father, as his spirit children before entering into this life, this terrestrial world that we're now in. So all of us were spirit children before coming into this life here and now. That is a fundamentally different view of humanity. According to the scriptures, according to the word of God, God has known about us into eternity past. He has foreknown us before the foundation of the earth was laid. But uh, that you could say that we were known in his mind. We did not have some kind of pre-soul existence. Uh, it's very clear that God has created us in our mother's womb. He has knit us together uh, fearfully and wonderfully in our mother's womb. So we have a, a real different view of humanity in the Mormon faith. Uh, we also have a fundamentally different view of God. This one's huge. Uh, the Mormon faith believes that God the Father was once a man, just like us. Uh, this man existed on another planet, and through obedience, through adherence to uh, the Mormon faith, this man progressed into being a god of his own planet. He was given this own planet and he could rule and reign over this planet as a god. 
And what this means is that we have the potential to become gods of our own planets one day. So you see here this view of God, this view of humanity is very different from Orthodox Christianity. Uh, Orthodox Christianity believes we will be in heaven with God and that God is still sovereign, supreme ruler of all heaven and earth. In the Mormon faith, well, God is just another man who's just become now God through obedience of this planet. And, and then we then have the potential to follow in his footsteps and become gods one day of our own planet, should we progress through obedience enough. In fact, the Mormon faith has this saying, as man now is, God once was. And that's very, very different than what the Bible has to say about God. God in the scriptures is described as being eternal, no beginning, no end. God is spirit no physical uh, body. He is spirit. Uh, and what we see specifically is that God is transcendent of creation. He's not a participant in creation. He doesn't just rule over one planet. He's not just sovereign over one planet. He is sovereign over uh, all of creation, all of the cosmos. There is not one molecule, not one atom, not one neutron or electron in the physical world, and not one aspect of the spiritual world that God doesn't sovereignly reign over. He is completely other than creation. Um, this is a really important doctrine in Orthodox Christianity. There's a creator-creation distinction. Uh, the creator is, is eternally different and separate from creation. But but in the Mormon faith, you don't have that distinction. Uh, the Mormons also are not going to believe that God is Trinitarian. Uh, they do not believe that he is three uh, persons in one essence. Uh, they're going to say that God the Father and Jesus are distinct persons. They will say that he's united in love, and they use the exact same terms, that it's God the Father, Jesus the Son of God, but they describe them as being two distinct persons. Orthodox Christianity does not believe that. Uh, and then finally, and, and this is the big one, and, and this is where we'll go into our second question here. They have a different Jesus than we do. Their Jesus is fundamentally different than ours. He's a created being. He is the older brother of Lucifer. Uh, there's a different method of salvation. Um, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is not holy and eternally sufficient to save us. According to their own scripture, 2 Nephi 25, 23, uh, this text says, We know that it is by grace we are saved after all we can do. So their theology is teaching we have to strive and do everything that we can do. Then we are saved by grace. That is fundamentally different than what the, what the scriptures say. Ephesians chapter 2 says it is by grace you have been saved uh, through faith. This is not of your own works so that no one can boast. Uh, this, is, this is the free gift of God. So we see two massively different Gospels here. One on the Mormon side is you have to work as hard as humanly possible, then you will be saved by grace. On the other side, the scriptures are saying, no, you'll never be good enough. I, Christ, was good enough for you. Uh, 
put your faith in my perfect, complete work on the cross and all your sin will be wiped clean. And by my indwelling spirit, I will now empower you to grow in righteousness. Two very, very different gospels. So um, with all that kind of being teased out there, this is once again, just kind of 10,000 foot view. We could go super deep into these, each one of these issues, but we'll just sort of give a, a broad paint stroke here. Um, are Mormons Christians? No, they're very sweet, very lovely people, very pleasant to be around. Uh, but in an orthodox, like mere Christian sense, we just can't say that they're Christians. Um, now, here comes the more practical uh, part of the, of the podcast. When they come to your door, when they see you out on the streets and they strike up a conversation, what do we say? How do we interact with uh, these very kind, sweet people? Um, maybe you're like me. Maybe uh, when these kind of conversations come up, um, my knee-jerk reaction, in all honesty, is to kind of get nervous. Uh, I know that may sound crazy because, like, I just told you a story about how I talked with them and how I had to, you know, have this cool conversation. But, like, in all honesty, what initially hits me is is fear. Like, I don't want to go do it. What if, what if they have a question I can't answer? What if they say something that stumps me? What if like I fall flat on my face trying to talk to them? And so that's my like initial knee jerk reaction is like, I'm just too scared. There's no way I could do this. Well, let me, let me give you a Bible verse and some techniques that might help here. First uh, Peter 3.15 calls us always be ready to give an apologia, to give a defense for the, the hope that you have. Um, this is a, this is an unbelievable opportunity. The, these sweet people literally come to our doorsteps. They come to us. We cannot be foolish and let this opportunity just slide by. We have to engage in some way, shape or form. And if you feel a little bit nervous like me, here's a little trick that I've learned that kind of helps me settle down before you get into the the heavy questions, okay? What I love to do, and I did it with these two guys that uh, walked down my sidewalk, I just take a little bit of time to, to get to know them because it kind of like settles my heart down a little bit. I, I sort of get the butterflies out and I just love to ask questions about them. Uh, so, man, tell me where you're from. Where are you from? Uh, where have you been so far on your mission? Um, how long have you been on your mission? Um, where are you hoping to go on your mission? Like this is such a, a great diffusing tactic because it, it shows that you're interested in them. And, and I would recommend like genuinely be interested. Uh, people can smell if you're being fake. Um, this works a whole lot better if you say a quick prayer and go, Lord, help me to really care about these people. Help me to really love them in this moment. And then go, man, so tell me, where are you from? Where, where did you grow up? Have you been a Mormon your entire life? How long have you been in the LDS church? Do you have uh, brothers or sisters who have been out on mission? Where's, where's some place that you're hoping to go? You could even ask about like, how do you get selected? How do they pick where you go? And just show interest in, in this thing. Because think about it. These are young people. And they're away from their families. They're away from home for like a couple of years. This is a crazy step that they have taken. Um, and it's it's a good icebreaker to just ask some questions and see what what their story is all about. Then after you do that and, and you kind of settle in a little bit and sort of get calmed down, realize, man, these are 
These are just people like me. These are people that are made in the image of God. They, they have hopes and dreams and stories and families and highs and lows, just like I do. They're just people like me. As you kind of settle in and, and you start to chill out a little bit, one of my favorite ways to steer the conversation into a spiritual area is by saying something like this. You could say, uh, man, thank you for sharing that. You know, I'm a Christian. Uh, I go to blah, blah, blah church, whatever your church is. And I've been following Jesus, you know, for however long you've been following him. And you can say, I've, I've heard some things about the LDS faith. Can you tell me what you believe? And then here's what they're going to say. They're going to say something. Every time I've talked to the Mormon, this is always how it goes. They're going to say something that sounds very I mean, you could hear it like in a Baptist church. You could hear it like in a, a Methodist Presbyterian church. It sounds very much like what we believe. They're going to say, oh, well, we believe that Jesus is the son of God and he's come to save us from our sins. And, and we just want to spread that message. We want to spread the gospel. So on the surface, you're going to be like, well, do that. I mean, that sounds exactly like what I believe. That sounds super similar to what I believe. Now, here's how you keep this conversation going. Oh, wow, man, that, that sounds that sounds a lot like what I believe. I, I have a couple of questions, though. Can you tell me who exactly is Jesus? What do you mean when you say Jesus? And once again, every single Mormon I've ever talked with, they're going to respond with this. He's the son of God. And you go, awesome. What do you mean by the son of God? And it's right here where you start to see the conversation split. And, and this is the best piece of advice I could give to anybody wanting to lovingly, uh, civilly, winsomely engage Mormons is keep the conversation centered on who is Jesus. We don't have to get into uh, their supplemental scriptures and the historical manuscript archaeological deficiencies that their extra scriptures have. Uh, we don't have to get into some of the uh, past like grievances that the the lds faith has done um you know things like polygamy things like not allowing black people into the priesthood that we don't have to get into any of those issues the best thing that we could center on who is christ it's no accident that jesus himself posed this question who do people say that i am because this is it this is the center peace question. This is the most important question any of us could ever answer. Who is Christ? So when they say the son of God, awesome. Tell me what you mean by that. What do you mean that he's the son of God? And once again, they're going to respond like this because every Mormon I've talked to has responded this way. Oh, well, we believe that he is the, he's the firstborn. He is uh, the firstborn son of of Father God and one of his goddess wives. They may not say that explicitly, but they'll say something to the effect that he's the firstborn of creation, um, that he is the first created being. And it's right here where we, man, we split in a major way from, from, the, LDS, from the LDS faith. Because what Orthodox Christianity is going to teach and what the Bible is going to teach is that Jesus is not a part of creation. He is the creator. Jesus is not uh, the firstborn son in the genetic sense. In just a couple of minutes, I'll show you about this word firstborn because 
uh, our Mormon friends and our Jehovah Witness friends really get hung up on this word. And I'll I'll give you some varsity level Christianity here in a second. But um, there are a couple of really great passages that I love to show Mormons. And they have them in their own Bible. So even if you don't have your Bible with you, you can go, hey, do you have your Bible? Can I show you these verses in your own Bible? And so one of the first verses that I love to take them to is John chapter one, the gospel of John, like one of the most famous verses and or one of the most famous gospels in all of the Bible. Uh, John one, one says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So right out of the gates, John here is echoing uh, Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John goes, yeah, let me tell you about that God. That God is the Word. It's Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He created all things. Now, here's the the problem. If he's a part of creation, then he can't be the one that's created all things because he himself is created. The text is saying here, he is the creator. He is the one that we're reading about in Genesis. He's the one speaking everything into existence. Uh, sometimes Mormons and, and, and definitely Jehovah Witnesses will love to say, well, Jesus himself never claimed to be God. Uh, you'll also hear Muslims. They love to make this claim as well. And so I always love to go from John 1 over to John chapter 8. Because in John chapter 8, there is an amazing statement. John eight fifty eight. It kind of rhymes. That's how I remember it. Eight fifty eight. It's a good way to remember it. Jesus said to them. So context here. He's in the temple. He's speaking with uh, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, the religious elite in the temple. And uh, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, on the surface, that doesn't look like Jesus said, hey, guess what? I'm God. But if you start to unpack what's happening here, it's amazing, the statement. And you have to see what, what happens next. Verse 59 says, so they, the the Jewish, the religious elite, they picked up stones to throw at him because, uh, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So they pick up stones and try to kill him. Do you know why they're trying to kill him? Because they think he just committed blasphemy. But, But why? Jesus says to them, before Abraham was, I am, ego eimi in the Greek. Now, in the context here, Jesus is in the temple. He is most likely speaking Hebrew. And what he just did was quote the name that God gave himself in the book of Exodus. When God tells Moses to go back to the Israelites in Egypt and free them, he says, well, well, what do I call you? They're going to ask me what your name is. And God tells Moses, tell them I am has sent you. Tell them, I am has sent you. In the Hebrew, this is where we get the word like Yahweh or Jehovah. Right? Those are they're very similar words. It's kind of hard to put them into to English. But we, we say, 
Jehovah has sent you or, or Yahweh has sent you. This is like the name of God. And so Jesus here takes one of the biggest patriarchs, like one of the biggest top dogs of the Jewish faith and says, before Abraham was Jehovah, Yahweh, before your father existed, I am Jehovah. And they pick up stones because they knew what he just said. They pick up stones to kill him because they're like, how could you call yourself that? You just took the name of God onto yourself. So make no mistake, Jesus very much so takes on the name of God for himself. Um, and if John 8 doesn't do it, Colossians chapter 1 is just an unbelievably high, beautiful view of who Christ is. John, or I'm sorry, Colossians 1.15 says this. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. There's firstborn. See, we're going to talk about that in a second. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Verse 19 is crazy. Watch this. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I love that verse because there's a redundancy. All of the fullness. So everything of the everything all of the fullness, the fullness of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in man. Now, here's why this is so important. If all the fullness of God is dwelling bodily in Christ, what that means is that uh, Christ must be eternal. If he has all the fullness of God, one of the main attributes that we see about God is that he is eternal. So you can't have all the fullness of God and yet then claim that Jesus is created because the creator is eternally separate from the creation. And yet this passage here is saying, no, 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 every attribute, every aspect of God is in Christ. He is not uh, created. He's the creator. He is not a finite being. He is eternal. Now, in Colossians, we see this word firstborn. Firstborn, we see it twice. Uh, uh, what is it in the Greek? Uh, prototokos in the Greek. Um, what it refers to is someone who uh, gets like the inheritance. Prototokos can refer to a genetic birth. Like it can refer to the very first birth. But uh, this is something that you got to really be on your guard with when it comes to Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons. They're both going to use this. They'll point to Colossians 1 and say, look, see, he's the firstborn. See, he is the first one that was created in creation. And then they'll say he's just then the one that creates everything else. But that's not what's being said here. Let me try to show you. Uh, I'm going to put you on some varsity level Christianity here. We're going to level your game up. If you ever hear this get thrown your way, what you need to do, remember this psalm, Psalm 89. Psalm 89 is where you need to go. And what you'll find is that Psalm 89 is all about King David. Psalm 89 talks all about the 
uh, the achievements of David, how the enemy will not outwit him. Uh, David will cry to God that you're my father, uh, the rock of my salvation. And then here's where you need to really drill down on. Okay, remember this, Psalm 89, verse 27. It says literally verbatim, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. That's talking about King David. Now, if you know your Old Testament, you'll know King David is not the firstborn in his lineage. In fact, he is the youngest in his lineage. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Septuagint, that word firstborn right there is prototokos. It's the exact same word that's used in Colossians 1. So when we have firstborn being talked about, it's not referring to a genetic birth. It's referring in the same sense that it referred to King David. You're the one that my favor will rest on. You're the one that the promise will come through. You're the one who will receive the inheritance that I'm giving to you. You are the one to receive preeminence. That's what that firstborn title is referring to. It's not referring to a genetic birth. The same way firstborn in Psalm 89 isn't referring to David being the firstborn because he's not. He's the lastborn. So we, we have a clear indication there that it's not referring to actual birth. Let me show you one more and then we'll land the plane here. In Isaiah chapter 42, I think Isaiah does one of the best jobs uh, just advocating for the, the fullness of God, like the sovereignty and the might and the power of God. In Isaiah 42 verse 8, uh, Isaiah records speaking on behalf of God. He says, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other. That's a powerful text. God is definitively saying, I don't share my glory with anyone else. There's no other God, no other idol, no other image, no other name that shares my name. Here's why that's so, so important. Because when you start reading through the New Testament, Jesus bears the name of God all over the place. Uh, one of my favorite instances in the Gospel of John is when uh, doubting Thomas, doubting Thomas, I, I just feel like me and him would have got along well. We would both have like a skeptical, inquisitive mind. And Thomas at the end of the Gospel of John is like, there's no way I'm going to believe he resurrected from the dead. I won't believe it until I put my fingers in his wounds. And, and then eight days later, after that statement, Jesus shows up and Jesus goes, come here, it's me. And Thomas puts his fingers into his wounds and then falls on his knees. And in the Greek, it says, My Lord, my God. He ascribes to Jesus the title that is only reserved for God. My Lord, my God. And Jesus does not correct him. Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 no. I'm just a prophet. No, 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 no. I'm just an angel. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm just a, a wise teacher. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm the firstborn of uh, Father God. No. He takes that title upon himself. And he says, Thomas, do you believe because you've seen? I tell you the truth. Blessed are those who believe and yet haven't seen. 
And then, I mean, we could go all over the scriptures. I mean, almost every introduction of Paul's letters, he's talking about how uh, sovereign, amazing and powerful and divine Jesus is. Uh, but uh, Philippians 2, I think, is probably one of the clearest ones that come to my mind. Philippians 2, Paul says that at the name of Jesus, right, this name that uh, God doesn't share his name with anyone else, doesn't share his glory with anyone else. But then watch this, Philippians 2, at the name of Jesus, right, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the praise of God the Father. Right In that same text, Paul says that God has bestowed onto Jesus the name that is above every other name. So you see it there, man? There's equality. The, the Son is equal to the Father. Uh, in, the, in the Trinity Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all have the same co-equal, co-eternal nature. Their functions, their roles are different, but they're they are they're eternally co-powerful and equal together. And we have to say that the Son, the Son is equal with the Father. And so here's how I, I try to always land the plane when I'm talking to uh, Mormons, those from the LDS faith. I want to give a shout out to a guy that's helped me a lot, uh, Jeff Durbin from Apologia Church. He's got all kinds of stuff on YouTube and, and podcasts. Go check his stuff out. The guy has, I mean, just master classes on YouTube about interacting and dialoguing with Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, uh, atheists. I mean, he, he engages with a lot of people. And one of the things I always appreciate about his interactions, he's, he's very biblically uh, firm, sharp, astute, and yet he does it with such tenderness and grace. And, and this is a line that I've learned from him and, and just want to pass on to you as well. He, he always ends his, uh, his interactions in, in kind of a similar way. He'll say things like this. He, he'll look the, the Mormons right in the eye and say, listen, I know you're very zealous for your faith. You wouldn't be out here if you weren't very passionate about your faith. And I admire that. In fact, you put a lot of my Christian brothers and sisters to shame. But listen, you're an image bearer of God. You are worthy of love and respect and out of a genuine love for you, out of, out of a genuine care for you. I'm worried the Jesus you're worshiping doesn't exist. The Jesus that the Mormon theological system is preaching about is vastly different than the one that the Bible preaches about. And I'm worried that you're worshiping a Jesus that can't save you, a Jesus that isn't real, a Jesus that was a, a figment of Joseph Smith's imagination. I want to call you to put your hope and put that same zeal and put that same passion into the Jesus of the scriptures, the one who is fully God, the one who is and was and is to come, the one that before Abraham was, I am. I want you to follow that Jesus because that Jesus has the power to forgive your sins. That Jesus has the power to give you new life. And I want to, I want to, uh, cheer you on to go look at the scriptures, reinvestigate what the Bible has to say about Jesus. And I think you'll find that, that what Mormonism says is very different than what the scriptures have to say about Jesus. And then usually if they're okay with it, I'll, I'll just ask if I can pray for them and uh, I'll thank you know the Lord for this conversation. And, and I just ask always in my prayer that the spirit would open their eyes to see who Christ really is. Um, and so, man, 
I hope that gives you some rails to run on when it comes to dialoguing with a Mormon. I hope that kind of frames up the Mormon faith a little bit more. Um, and I hope that it gives you uh, maybe some courage when they knock on your door to lovingly and in a respectful way, talk with them and engage with them. Uh, because if, if what we believe is really true, then, then man, one of the most loving things we could do is have the courage to tell them who really is Jesus. So thank you for listening. I hope you all have a great rest of your day and I'll plan on seeing you on the next podcast. Thank you. Hey, real quick before you go, thank you again for checking out this episode of the Chad Blackman podcast. If you could do me a solid and like this, share it, rate it, do whatever you can do on the platform you're listening to to help this get to more people, I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for your support. God bless you.